Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. You uh, look around the sanctuary this morning, you might notice there's a few ladies missing. There's about 100 ladies in Midland this morning finishing a weekend retreat that they've uh, been having a great time at. And, of course, you know, we miss them, all of us uh, men who've had to you know, fend for ourselves for a weekend. And I trying to get some things done around my house of yesterday, uh, some painting and staining and such, and uh, made sure I you know, put some gloves on so I wouldn't uh, you know, have to be peeling too much from underneath my nails this morning. A couple of weeks ago, uh, I was uh, working on my, my lawn tractor. It would, not, uh, it would not stay in forward gear. It's always a problem. It's, it, you really look silly driving around your lawn in reverse the whole time. So that just wasn't working out for me. And I had to, I had to take care of that problem. And so that was, a, that was a couple of Saturdays ago. And I've tried to learn. I've tried to learn when I have tools in my hand to be careful. It doesn't always work out that way. So I, I, had, to, I had to get a part off that was a little bit rusty. So of course that always requires a little persuasion. So I got a big mallet out. I, was, I had a good pair of gloves on, too. But I, I was kind of in a blind spot, and I was holding a block of wood, cr- cranking on it. And yeah, of course, ah, I caught my finger. <laughs> gloves and all, but I'll tell you what, it, it left a mark that's still there. Yeah, yesterday, I was washing my hands. I'm still seeing it. My nail is still pretty black. Well, it's not terrible. Uh, but the mark is still there that's been healing up. I couldn't believe how, how badly it split open, I, even though I had gloves on. But it's, thankfully, it's not going to be permanent. You know, when we have uh, uh, permanent scars, uh, sometimes we don't like them. We definitely don't want to keep them around. Most of us have some kind of physical scar. If we've been around on the earth for a while, whether it was something accidental, uh, like my left hand, because the tool's always in the right. I've got plenty of them here. Uh, one I can see that uh, it's a definite nice reminder. That was, a, that was a box knife across the thumb there. It hit the bone. That one was, ah. I got another one there from a, from, <laughs> from a, a tree saw. <laughs> Almost lost my tendon on that one. We all have them. We all have them. See, I told you I was a slow learner. Uh, some we just don't want to remember. We don't even want to talk about them because of the pain it reminds us of. And we wish we could just get rid of them sometimes, when they're, but they're permanent. Us men, though, sometimes we, we wear them as badges of honor. We'll, we'll brag about them. We brag about our... Our, our scars, we brag about the things that have happened to us. Uh, there's a scene in the, uh, the old movie, Jaws. It's a great scene where the characters are sitting on, the, sitting on their boat in a shark hunt, and they start talking about their scars. 
Uh, it is a good scene, so I brought it along this morning. Let's, let's check it out. stuff <laughs> one upping hey i got that beat i got that beat let me show you something better something something bigger something you know more painful and back and forth they go but some for some you know, carrying a, a scar is not as easy it can be extremely difficult and really nothing to brag about. I had uh, come across a story just this past week, uh, on Wednesday I believe it was, about uh, a man named Lance Corporal Kyle Carpenter. Uh, back in 2014, he received the Medal of Honor, and that's the highest uh, personal military decoration that can be awarded to a, a service person for an act of valor. And what the reason that uh, Corporal Carpenter was in the news is he's written a book. So there, were, there was an interv interview done, and that interview talked about his Medal of Honor a little bit, and it gave the citation that he received when his Medal of Honor was uh, put around his neck. And that citation I'll give you some excerpts. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it says, for conspicuous gallantry and intrepidity, intrepidity at the risk of his life above and beyond the call of duty while serving in Helmand Province, Afghanistan on 21 November 2010, Lance Corporal Carpenter was a member of a platoon-sized coalition force. The platoon had established patrol base Dakota two days earlier in a small village in the Marjad district 
in order to disrupt enemy activity and provide security for the local Afghan population. Lance Corporal Carpenter with a fellow Marine were manning a rooftop security position when the enemy initiated a daylight attack with hand grenades, one of which landed inside their sandbagged position. Without hesitation and with complete disregard for his own safety, Lance Corporal Carpenter moved toward the grenade in an attempt to shield his fellow Marine from the deadly blast. When the grenade detonated, his body absorbed the brunt of the blast, severely wounding him, but saving the life of his fellow Marine. Corporal Carpenter is now medically retired from the Marine Corps, as you might well imagine, and he has written a book about his experience, which was released last week, thus the interview and why he was in the news, and I saw this story. And in it, he talked about his scars, because he has a lot of them. He spent three years at the uh, Walter Reed uh, Military Medical Center recovering, going through multiple surgeries. And he said between all the surgeries, he had time to... He had time on his hands, and he thought, well, why not go to what they call scar revision therapy? So he would go to this scar revision therapy, and he said it was extremely, extremely painful. And they were working on his face, and he said sometimes it left his face swollen and unrecognizable for a time. He wouldn't even recognize himself in the mirror. And then he, he said one day he had an epiphany. It was like, why, why am I trying to do this? And he likened it to a totaled car. He said, it's like a, a car that's been totally crashed, and, and I'm trying to buff out the dents. It's completely, it's completely totaled, and I'm rubbing it out. It's never going to work. He said... Why am I trying to do this when I'm going around the country and speaking to people? If you get injured, and if you have scars, I'm trying to share hope that it's okay. Then he said, scars are truly a beautiful thing. And that might be tough for some of us to even agree with. But he had found some beauty and some hope in something that was so difficult and that's hard to grasp. And as hard as it is to think about, we have hope. We have hope. We have a true, living hope beyond our own hurts, beyond our pain, beyond our scars. We have a living hope. We have a living hope in the one who received wounds, the one who became marred and injured and disfigured and injured and killed for our behalf. And of course, his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. God in the flesh. Jesus became a man. He became physically human. He was born just like every single one of us. Came into the world, born of a woman. He grew up, he experienced the human condition. He experienced happiness and uh, sadness. He understood joy and pain. He went through the whole human process. And when he was about 30 years old, 
Uh, Jesus, who had been known for his trade, he worked, he'd become a carpenter. When he was about 30, he put carpentry behind him. And he began a ministry of teaching and preaching and healing. People in pain, people hurt, people who had scars. When Jesus first began his ministry, his ministry was announced by a man that's called John the Baptist. And John put it this way. This is in the first chapter of the Gospel of John, a different John. But I'll read uh, verses 29 and 30 where John the Baptist first saw Jesus. It says, John saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. So John is pointing out that Jesus is God, that he's divine, that he existed before John the Baptist did. John the Baptist was physically on the earth older than Jesus, but he said, hey, he was before me. He's pointing to his divinity. But he also called him this interesting title, Lamb of God. Now, the Jewish people who were in earshot of John the Baptist, they would have understood a bit about what John meant by this. But what about us here in the 21st century? If we've never heard uh, about ancient Judaism, if we've not studied the religion, and we didn't really know much about Christianity, and we just picked up the Bible, and we opened it up to the first chapter of the Gospel of John, and we don't get too far, and we read this, Lamb of God. We might be scratching our head, what is that? What does that even mean? And yet from the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, all the way through to uh, Revelation, the last book of the Bible, the Bible is full of this, this imagery, this picture of the Lamb or the Lamb of God. And if you leave that out, if you don't understand it, if you don't know what Lamb of God means, the, the Bible and, and God, they're incomprehensible. They're very hard to understand. They're mysteries. And God's going to remain uh, in the dark until we see and until we know the Lamb of God. In the very first book of the Bible, Genesis, the, the concept of offering a lamb to God is introduced. The man Abraham offered sacrifices, and he and his son had an incident once where Abraham's faith was being tested, and his son asked, where's the, where's the lamb? Where's the lamb? And God, God provided a lamb for them, and they offered a lamb to God. As you move through the Bible, in Exodus, the very next, next book, the, the lamb becomes more defined in what's called the Passover meal. It was first initiated, it first took place on the night that God's power over life and death was displayed uh, profoundly. 
before the Egyptian people. And God instituted this Passover meal. And for the Passover meal, he said, use a lamb. And a lamb was slain. But they just didn't eat the lamb. God said, take the blood of the lamb. Put it on the sides of your door and put it over the top frame of the door. So the doorpost, the top of the door, they brushed the blood of the lamb. And that was to show that the house and all who were in the house were under the blood, covered by the blood of the lamb. And then what happened? The angel of death came through Egypt. And when the angel of death arrived, passed over every house that had the blood of the lamb on the door. But death came to the firstborn of every other house, the houses that were not covered, that were not protected by the blood of the lamb. And so the awesome power of God, it convinced the king of Egypt, the the supreme pharaoh of Egypt, he was convinced to release the Hebrew people that had been in slavery to them for hundreds of years. After hundreds of years of slavery, he saw the power of Almighty God, and he said, I'm going to let these people go. And the people were freed from their slavery and from their bondage. And then the Passover meal, it became an annual meal to commemorate God's awesome power and his saving grace to take his people from bondage. In the Passover, God established this image. It's a portrait. It's a picture of Jesus, a prototype, if you will, of Jesus. Tying them in to the lamb. But the Passover, it wasn't the only time that a lamb was important. Lambs were offered to God to atone for sin. Sin. Sin so offensive to a pure and a holy God, it required significant response. Let me read to you a verse from the book of Leviticus, then the third book. We've gone Genesis, first book, Exodus, now Leviticus, the third book, and it reads this way, Leviticus 17, 11. For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. So God is showing just how awful sin is. It, it requires this extreme, very extreme, significant response to deal with it and make atonement for sin. The offering of innocent animals on an altar for sin. It was an essential part then of the Jewish faith. Offerings were made to atone for sin and to commemorate as a memorial to commemorate the salvation of God. So now, you fast forward 1,000, 1,500 years when John the Baptist makes this declaration he sees Jesus, and he says, Lamb of God. And he followed that with a description. He just didn't say, there's the Lamb of God. He said, who takes away the sin of the world. Now, John's 
principal meaning here in identifying Jesus as the Lamb of God is that he had this purpose. There was this purpose. He takes away the sin of the world. And what else could he mean except that Jesus is, is tied in with this idea of sacrifice and the giving of a life and that he would be atoning for sin. There's no doubt if the people of Judaism were hearing and they were so familiar with this, the temple in Jerusalem was still standing. We know that sacrifices were still made. Even Jesus had had issues with the people there and turned the tables over because they were selling all these animals and making money. And he said, you've turned my father's house into a den of thieves. There's no doubt they had some understanding of what John the Baptist meant when he uttered these words that he was referring to sacrifice. Now, some, they heard it. And they began to follow Jesus. There was a man named Andrew, and you can read about him in that same first chapter of the Gospel of John. A man named Andrew. And he was convinced, he was convinced that Jesus was sent by God. He might not have understood everything perfectly and completely, but he understood Jesus was special. John was calling him the Lamb of God. And Andrew was so convinced. He went and he found his brother Peter and he said, Peter, Peter, you've got to come. Why? We found the Messiah. Found the Messiah, the Savior, the one that they've been waiting for. So th these words of John the Baptist, they were, they were rippling. The Lamb of God. Now, many rejected the words of John the Baptist, and many rejected Jesus. They didn't understand. They didn't understand that Jesus came to earth with a purpose to put an end to all of this animal sacrifice. For over a thousand years since God had initiated the sacrificial laws there in the book of Leviticus, and he gave the law through Moses that animals would be used for the purpose of sacrifice and atonement for sin, the animals... Uh, were valued. There was a point to this. They, they had uh, use. I mean, this was something important to people that they had to give up, and they had to give their best. Not some. They couldn't get some lame animal and say, "Oh, I'll use that to atone for my sin." No, they were supposed to take the best, the the best one, and use that for their sin offering. And then Jesus became the final sacrifice. His blood, so much more valuable, so much more precious than that of animals. Why? Because he is the son of God. And his offering was received by God the Father as complete, total, sufficient, paid in full, never have to do it again, no other offering needed. That's an amazing thing. And I'm so glad for it. I don't have to deal with having to atone for my sin constantly. Jesus gave his life by yielding to those who hated him, those who wanted to see him die, those who falsely accused him, and they nailed him to a cross. And he went there willingly. You read uh, the passages of scripture that say he went like a lamb to the slaughter. Again, tying it all together. The night before he died, Jesus introduced a new Passover. Passover. 
he introduced a new commemorative meal. We call it the Lord's Supper or communion. He used bread and he used wine as emblems of his body and his blood. And he said, share this bread and share this cup and remember me. Remember me. So it was a new memorial meal. A new way to say, let's not, ne never forget what he is doing for us. So the New Testament writers were emphatic about this, about what Jesus Christ accomplished in the giving of his life. As you read now through the, the pages of the New Testament, you'll see this, the idea, the Lamb of God is still there. In the book of Acts, after the Gospels, the book of Acts record the, the beginning of the church. There's an account of an Ethiopian man. He's in a carriage. He's obviously well-to-do. And he has a scroll of Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet. And he's reading it out loud in his carriage. And he reads these words. He was like a sheep led to the slaughter. And he, has, he doesn't know what it means. He has no idea what it means. He actually verbalizes, I wish I understood this, somebody to help me. And Philip, an apostle of Jesus, happens to hear him. And he explains it to him. This confused Ethiopian man, what does this mean? Who's he talking about? And Philip explains, he goes, this guy that wrote this 750 years ago, he's talking about Jesus. He's the one that was led like a lamb to the slaughter. It's a picture of that lamb again. And the apostle Paul, through the letters of the New Testament, he called Christ our Passover lamb who has been sacrificed. And Peter, the, the apostle of Christ, Andrew's brother, he wrote letters too, and he wrote, for you know that it wasn't with perishable things, things that waste away, it wasn't with perishable things like silver and gold that you were redeemed from your empty way of life that was handed down to you by your ancestors, but you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ a lamb without blemish or defect. Now he's pointing back. He's pointing back to the Levitical law that said you need to bring the best. A lamb without blemish or defect. And he said, this is Jesus. Old Testament, New Testament. Jesus' sacrifice, though, was different. It was not perishable, eternal, forever, never, ever going away. So from the first book of the Old Testament all the way through the pages of the New Testament, the Gospels, the letters, we find this Lamb of God. And you'll see Jesus, this Lamb of God, as you pass through the New Testament all the way to the last book, the, the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, the apostle John he gives us this account. It's a grand and glorious vision that he receives while he's exiled on the island of Patmos. He's there for a crime. What was this crime? He was preaching. He was preaching the gospel. He, he gets thrown onto the island of Patmos uh, where he's in exile. And he wrote this. He wrote it was the Lord's Day. 
I was in the spirit, and I heard a voice like a trumpet, the voice of Jesus. And when John turned and he laid eyes on him, he said, I fell as if I was dead. This is how awesome this vision was. This is how magnificent it was. He fell as if he was dead. It harkens back to some of the Old Testament prophets, a guy like Ezekiel who saw a vision of heaven and he didn't even understand it. And he was dumbstruck for seven days. He, he sat down and couldn't even speak for seven days. And this is kind of the same experience the apostle John is having. He gets a, Jesus uh, giving him a vision and he falls down because it was just so amazing and so awesome. And then Jesus lifts him up and he showed him things. He showed him images that this man could never have imagined. And when you get to the fifth chapter of the book of Revelation, there's one of these descriptions of just this vision that's amazing. And it's a, a vision of the risen Christ. And in it, Jesus is presented as a lamb slain. And he's the only one who can take, take a scroll of judgment from the hand of God the Father and open it. Had seven seals. Only Jesus had the power to break the seals. And I want to read to you some of that vision. This is a Revelation chapter 5. and I'm going to read verses 6 through 13. John again. John, he's trying to explain this amazing unimaginable vision that he's having. And he writes, Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne in heaven, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding a golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals, because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne of the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And that's an amazing passage of scripture an amazing vision that this man's having. God the Father on the throne, Jesus there next to him, and the creatures and the elders all around. John saw in his vision, and he watched as they worshiped. They worshiped around the throne in heaven, and there's God the Father, and they're worshiping the Lamb as if he's God because he is God, because they're, they're, the two are one, and they're giving him all the honor and the glory as God, as we all should, 
as we all should praise him. Every creature in heaven, it says, and on earth, and under earth, and on the sea, and under the sea, saying, of the slain lamb, praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. That is, it's amazing, it's spectacular image, isn't it? And they're all worshiping the lamb of God. This, this lamb of God just completely saturates the pages of scripture. The lamb, the sacrifice for sin, the lamb memorialized in, in me meals. And yet this image that John saw, it's a little bit strange. It's hard to understand. It's, it's got some just the things that they rock, your, they rock your senses. John wrote, he saw a lamb looking as if it were slain. And that is something to think about. What does that even mean? And if we think back to when Jesus resurrected, when he was raised from the dead, he appeared to his disciples. And after Jesus was resurrected, when he appeared, he said, I've got flesh and bones. He said, this is a real body. It was a real body. It was, it was flesh, just like yours, he said. But it was magnificent, and it was glorified, and he could do things beyond the natural laws of the world. He, he just showed up into a room that was locked. His followers were hiding in a room. They were fear, in fear. They thought they might be killed like Jesus had been killed. And then Jesus appeared to them in a locked room. First thing he says is, peace. Peace be with you. Probably because they all wanted to drop dead. If you think about that, you're in a locked room and suddenly the man that you thought was dead shows up. And the very next thing he did the very next thing he did, and you can read this at the end of John's gospel, and you can read it in all the gospels, where Jesus appears, and he showed them his hands and his side. He showed them the nail-pierced hands. He had the scars. He says, here's where the spear tore my side. And how did these followers of Christ respond? They were overjoyed. They were overjoyed. Why? Because they knew it was their Lord and their Savior. Because he displayed to them his wounds, the, the scars. He presented them to the scars of his sacrifice. He showed to them. And this is an amazing thing. This resurrected, glorified body of Jesus, it could have, he could have made it perfect. But God, in his infinite wisdom, he decided that the Lamb of God was going to keep its scars. Why might he do that? Well, what's that all about? Was it to brag to his friends, hey, I got that beat. Hey, look at this. I got you beat. Well, he could have done that because he's, he's got us all beat. But it wasn't about that. It wasn't about bragging rights or 
you know, showing himself to be some tough guy. No, his scars, one of the reasons was exactly what I said, that was to confirm who he said he was, to show his disciples. As a matter of fact, when Jesus first makes that appearance and he, he shows his followers, it's me, it's me, look, look, look at my wounds, it's me. There was one that wasn't there and his name was Thomas and he's famous for it because he's called Doubting Thomas. You know, forever, he'll be, he'll be impugned and marked with this, you're the doubter. He's probably like a lot of us, though. He wasn't there, and he told his friends, I don't believe you. You need to tell me Jesus showed up, and I think you're, you're just telling me a story. As a matter of fact, I'm not going to believe it at all until I can put my hand in his side. And I can touch the holes in his hands and put my finger where the nails were. That's what he said. Now Jesus did come back and he showed himself again and Thomas was there and when Thomas saw, he believed. He believed. Jesus showed he was who he claimed to be. Another thing that Maybe why he would keep these scars is to show that he's victorious over them, over death. He carries the wounds. He carries the marks that took his life. But guess what? They, they don't hold any power over his life anymore. They don't have power to take his life again. He's alive forever and ever. And he holds the keys to death and to hell. And he shows that he beat, he beat out death and hell. He's, he has the marks to prove it. Why else might he carry around these marks of his wounds? Well, perhaps as a memorial, like the Passover or like communion. The sacrifice of the lamb will never, ever be forgotten. It will forever be remembered. The heavenly image there received by John, uh, who, who saw this great vision. He saw all of them around the lamb worshiping, but it was the lamb that looked like it had been slain. Somehow it still had these marks. It showed that this was not some perfect, unblemished lamb. No, this was one that had been slain as the sacrifice. And the worshipers acknowledged that sacrifice. They said, worthy is the lamb and they said, worthy is the lamb who was slain. They, they, they acknowledged the sacrifice. And the scars of Jesus are an eternal reminder displayed for all to see in heaven. So it'll never, ever be forgotten what he did for us to enter heaven. Never be forgotten. We'll never forget his sacrifice, even in eternity. And, and realize this. Jesus carries those scars right now. Right now. He intercedes on our behalf. He intercedes with the Father. He is, uh, he is the mediator on our behalf. Paul the Apostle wrote that to his protege Timothy. He said, there's one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. And he mediates. He intercedes, though, as the Lamb, the Lamb who was 
who has given his life for us. I'll give you two more passages. Romans 8, 34 says of Jesus, who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. And in the book of Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, it says, therefore Jesus is able to completely to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives. He always lives to intercede for them. He's alive. The lamb is alive. The lamb who sacrificed and gave his life for us is alive and he offers true hope and a living hope. And it's not in spite of his scars, but because of his scars. And, and the emotional and the spiritual scars that are brought by our sin, the things that we've done that have damaged ourselves and they've caused things that we think are permanent and they're gonna be there forever and we don't wanna talk about them and we wanna hide them away and cover them up. We wanna go through some revision therapy to erase them so that we could never see them again. They're healed. They're healed because of his wounds. They're, they're healed because he carries the scars for you. We, we, don't, we don't need to carry them. He carries them for us. And he doesn't hide them. He doesn't hide them, he displays them. He's not ashamed of what he did. The lamb who gave his life, his scars are the eternal evidence that he won for us a pardon for sin. While we were yet sinners, Christ Jesus, the lamb, he died for us, gave his life. And because of that, because of that, his scars are a beautiful thing. He did it for us. He carried that pain and he did that for us. And I don't know if you've never really thought about it that way. Or maybe never even understood this idea of the, the lamb from Genesis to Revelation, start to finish. The plan from the beginning of time. But he did it for you. And if you've never ever really received that fully, if you've never said, I'll give you all my pain and my hurt that I've, that I've done because I've been sinning and rebelling and trying to do things my own way, you can, you can turn to him. Just like John the Baptist said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away your sin. Have you beheld him? If not, I invite you this morning to do so, to lay, your, to lay your scars before him, your wounds. And say, I want to I turn away from that and give that up, put that behind me, and say thank you to the one who carries his for you, carries the marks of his wounds for you. Let's stand as we close and pray. And if there's anyone in here, and that's you, I don't want you to leave without 
taking a minute to just offer your life, turn, turn it over to our Lord. And if you'd like to talk to anyone about that, if you'd like to pray about that, you don't need to run out. I'd love to, I'd love to just invite you to, to come up to the front. We, we have people who'd love to talk to you, pray with you. I'd love to come and meet you, talk to you more about this one. His name's Jesus. I gave his life for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your, your word and thank you for what you did, Lamb of God. Thank you that you continue forever to display your sacrifice to all, to everyone. Everyone. All people in heaven, under heaven, on earth, on the sea, under the sea. Everyone. You show you're the Lamb. You do. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for giving your life. God, if there's anyone in this room this morning who's realizing, I get it. He did it for me. Lord, I pray with that person right now. I pray with them, Lord, that, they, that they're having the faith to say, I'm going to put it behind me, turn from my ways that aren't working, that are causing me trouble, pain, and scars that I think i got to keep around forever. God, I, I want to turn from that and just yield my life to a Savior who would keep me from sin and he'd win for me eternal life. Lord, anyone in this room praying that, God, I ask your grace to fall on them. May it be sincere. May it be sincere and genuine. And for everyone else here, God, who knows you and knows the Lamb, if there's anything we've been struggling with that we've been trying to carry, help us to put it at the cross of Christ who died for us and he's bearing his wounds to say, I've got you covered forever. Lord, remind us of that that we'll never forget. We're gonna see him in glory as our, as our savior. And we're gonna see what he's done for us and never forget it. Help us to never forget it now. Lord, bless everyone here. Bless them, carry them, keep them, watch over them. Lord, until we come again to your house to worship you. And Father, I ask all these things in the name of of the Lamb of God, Jesus, amen.